0: See, the world tells you you got to be extraordinary so that everybody knows who you are and you have to have achievements that everybody respects and you need accolades and you need diplomas and you need all these things, but in God's economy, none of that is true. God can take a person from obscurity and put him into a place of prominence. He took David from the backwoods with a few sheep and he brought him to sit in the throne and to rule over Israel. Why? Because God does what God wants to do. And you and I are not limitations in his plan. So let's thank God for the word this morning. I'm going to read you. It's a small chapter. It's only 15 verses. Uh, Thank God for it this morning and jump right in. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together and study your word. We thank you that we can come together and worship you. And Father, I pray that uh, enthusiasm and energy and joy, the joy that comes from knowing you would just permeate this place. And Father, we would be excited about being children of God. Father, bless the word as it goes forth and let it pierce through our preconceptions and even our own limitations, Father. And Holy Spirit, open it up to us so that we understand how to apply it to our daily living. Every portion of your word is powerful and it is important and it is pertinent and it matters. And so, Father, as we unwrap this chapter, I pray that each of us will receive from you today something we could tuck in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Chapter 21, David is on the run from Saul. Again, things go hot and cold, hot and cold. This time the gloves come off. Saul is definitely looking to kill David. Jonathan tried to run interference for him to no avail. Saul throws a spear at his own son because he wants to get to David to kill him. At this point, David is in full retreat. He is fleeing uh, from Israel, and he is about to be Uh, you know, on the run for his life here, and we pick up in chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. I have commissioned uh, you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have in hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand. Say ordinary. ordinary. There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. Say consecrated. If... So there's no ordinary bread, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today with our vessels we holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, now is there a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no one except it here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands. And he scribbled on the door of the gate and let saliva run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do you, do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act a madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? And the chapter ends. A lot of powerful stuff going on in there. And it's funny, like when we hear that story, initially we start to laugh, but by the time I'm done preaching this, you're going to see there is nothing funny about it. David's an honorable man, a holy man, a, an anointed man, a man that God has chosen. Yet he's fleeing from a wicked man, and he has to do all kinds of humiliating things to just survive. And I see it as just a really sad situation. That um, it's amazing how far he's willing to go. We're going to talk about you know some of the things he does, and we're going to weigh you know them and, and see if there's integrity behind them, but. David is on the run at this point. The gloves are off. Saul wants to kill him. There's no doubt about it. He flees to Nob, and that's the place where the tabernacle was set up, where the the worship would take place in Israel. Ahimelech, the priest, was there. Now he goes to Nob. Ahimelech sees him, and Ahimelech is instantly nervous to see him. The priest is trembling. It says when he comes to him, he's trembling. He says, "Why is there no one with you?" Now, David was an important man. David was a military man. David wouldn't go anywhere without a sword, without supplies, without a bodyguard, without a garrison, something. He he comes alone, and the priest knows something's not right about this. And so he comes to him, and he's trembling. And I want you to see what's going on here. The priest knows what's going on, but he doesn't know exactly what's going on. How many people have children? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on, raise it like you were going to win $100. You look like we're going to sign you up for something. Okay, if you got kids, you know sometimes you just look at them and you know something's up, but you don't know what. I told first service when I was little, sometimes I'd walk by my father and he'd kick me in the butt. And I said, if you're Italian, you know this. You say, what was that for? For the things I didn't catch you doing. That's what he said. Anybody, right? (laughs) And you'd go away and you'd be like, man, I'm glad he don't know, but... It was true, you know, you never even argued. Oh, I didn't do nothing, never said that once. So the priest looks at him, and he's like, you know what, something's up, and I know something's up, and uh, I'm not quite sure what it is, but he was, so, he was so overwhelmed by that that he was trembling, and he probably had heard rumors of things going on between David and Saul, and maybe the news hadn't reached him already, but there was a falling out between David and Saul, and he was afraid that maybe aiding David at this moment would put him at odds with the king. It's never a good place to be. You know, if there's problems in your office, there's problems at your job. You never want to position yourself between someone who's fighting with management or someone who's at odds with the boss or someone who's about to get fired. You don't want to be in that corner. You don't want to be in the middle of that mess. And the priest is saying, you know, there's there's something wrong here. Now, listen to me. Uh, Discernment is something all of us need. Now, I'm not saying the priest didn't have discernment. He's going to do some things for David here. He discerned something is wrong. There are times when all of us are going to need to discern things and figure out what's going on and how we should be involved, and we're not going to have all the facts, and we're not going to have all the details, and we're not going to have the intel on the situation. All we're going to have is a visceral response in our guts that we're going to know something is wrong. How many times in life you, had a, you didn't know what was going on, you knew something was going on, but you had a, a check in your body? I was saying in first service, there are times, Lou, where the Holy Spirit would just put weight on me, where I could feel it like I would take a step in that direction. It was like, boom. And I know in my gut, there's times where my stomach would literally be upset when I was, you know, had a decision to make over something. And you say, what was that? It was a gut check from God. It was a visceral response of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's times when God can't get through this this (laughs) mind, okay? There's times where your mind is too, some of you are too way out there to understand spiritual things at certain moments. You know, when your flesh is riled up or your emotions are riled up or, you know, for some reason, you know, I don't know, your emotions are out of control and the Holy Spirit's going, hello, shaking you a little bit. So what does he do? He gives us a gut check. I've learned to trust my gut over the years, and it saved me. If you have a visceral response to something, if you have a gut check, if you know something's not right, if you're afraid to move, in this case, the priest was actually trembling. That's a gut check right there. He didn't know what was up. He knew something was up, and it was a fearful thing. You and I need to learn to respond to that. You know, the Lord wants to lead us with the still, small voice, but sometimes the bit and the bridle is the only thing that works. The Lord wants to lead us with the still, small voice, but sometimes our emotions are so far out in front of us, he's got to, bam, stop us dead in our tracks. Whoa. You know, when my stomach is not right, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, my culture or what, but when he, if I can't eat, something's wrong. And, you know, you get that check, and the priest had it, and I want you to notice that. Because as we continue to teach through the book, God willing, we're going to see there's going to be some repercussions from the actions that take place here in this chapter. David calms Ahimelech's fears and he tells him this sudden, you know, suddenly he just puts together a very slick story about what's going on here. And in verse two, we see that, you know, he's got a really good story here. David said to Ahimelech the priest, the the king commissioned me with a matter and it has come to me, let no one know anything thing about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. I have directed the young man to a certain place. So here's what David comes up with. You know, uh, priest, you can calm down because I'm on a super secret spy mission. (laughs) That's basically what he just said there. If if you're not listening, listen, okay? He said it's covert. It's black ops. Nobody knows about it. It's so secret. I'm making it up even as I'm telling it to you. (laughs) And he tells them, oh yeah, the young men, my entourage, the warriors that would normally always be with me, my bodyguard, they're at a different place because it's super secret. And so, you know, I, I need to get some things here and then I'll rendezvous with them and we'll, we'll accomplish our, our mission. <laughs> you know, verse two is an interesting verse. The story sounds great. I'd like to hear chapter two. I'd like to hear the rest of the story. But, you know, the priest's anxiety is calmed. He's, he calms down a little bit. The only problem with the story is it's a big, fat lie. Hello? It's a lie. It's not true. It's not true at all. There's not even a shred of truth in it. Do you know when t- t- somebody tells you a story that's mostly true? Come on, and you're listening to him, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that part where you flew over the car, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> You know, like a mostly true story, and they mix some exaggeration and some lies in it and some things that make them look really good, you know. There wasn't even a shred of truth in this story. It was all fiction. David just flat out lies to the priest. Now, some of you are not flinching out there, so I'm getting a little nervous because lying is still wrong, still a sin. And here's David, God's anointed, fleeing for his life, and he's lying. Now, you might say, come on, Pastor Rick, you know, it's a big lie. Yeah, we get it. And, you know, David's life is on the line. He's a desperate man. He's, he's going into exile. He's got to do whatever it takes to survive, and I get that. And in the same position, many of us would do the exact same thing as what David's doing. And and I just want to look at the ethical side of this. I want to look at at it from the point of holiness and integrity. You might sit there and say, come on, sometimes, pastor, it's got to be okay to lie when it's the lesser of two evils. Now, it's funny because people are shaking their head, but I'm going to give you some instances where I guarantee you would probably lie. And all the religious people are going, okay, religious people, hang on. You're, you're a German person, and you have Jews hiding in your basement. And the Nazis knock on the door, and they're armed with submachine guns, and they say, where are the Jews? Elias just gave the Jews over to their death. <laughs> Thanks, Elias. Don't rob a bank with Elias. But think about it, here's the guy at the door, you're gonna tell the Nazis, evil! Where the Jews are, God's holy people! And and the only thing you have to do is lie. You're an abolitionist, you're running slaves from house to house, you're using the underground railroad, you're getting slaves away from slave owners, and there's a knock at the door. Where are they? We know they're here. What do you do? Your wife comes out with a dress. (laughs) I always tell her the truth. Sometimes she gets mad at me. But come on, sometimes you're like, beaten, misery, sleeping on the couch, lie. I'm going with choice four. And you look at this stuff and like it's easy to judge. But like, what if you were that person? I, you know, lying is wrong, but I, I don't wanna see these people, these Jews kill. I don't want to see these slaves. But it seems to be the lesser of two evils. And you know what? I understand all of this. And while all of these circumstances are interesting and in they've happened in history. And you would think there'd be some flexibility and some grace there. The truth is a lie is always still a lie and it's still wrong. But here's the good news. We live in a fallen world. We live in an evil world. We live in a world where sometimes there's a choice between wickedness or evil, and, and we're in a corner. There's grace for us when we have to make these decisions. There's grace. So, you know, David does tell a lie, and he needs to bring it before the Lord and repent of some of these things because if you don't, it can twist your spirit. But we see in this situation ethics... And and, uh, the right thing to do in a certain circumstance, sometimes it's not as black and white as we hoped, but it's still black and white. And when we sin, there is forgiveness. Thank God for grace. David tells a tall tale. It, it, it sort of works. He gets what he needs. Now, David's trying to sustain himself here. He needs food. First of all, why does he need five loaves? Because he's making a run for the border. He's going. To, he's, he's got a place in mind to go. He needs to travel. He can't just stop off at you know, a fast food joint. He can't grab Chick-fil-A. He can't you know, knock on the door, go to the, the supermarket. He's got to get his supplies, and he's got to flee because he's going into exile. So he's like, I want five loaves. And, you know, there's the talk of these other, his other bodyguards that would be with him and the other men. So, you know, five loaves of bread, we're going to share it with all the guys. No, there was no entourage. There was no bodyguard. It was just him. He's fleeing. He's making provisions for his journey. There again, desperate times call for desperate measures. David needed food for right then and to sustain him through the trip. Now, we've said this before as studying Genesis and we're talking about Joseph on Wednesday nights, and there's a famine in the land for all those years. Hunger can be a powerful motivator. Yeah. When you're hungry, you will do and say things that you normally wouldn't do. Come on, have you ever gotten so hungry that you became hangry? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, and it's like you, you, get, you get grouchy, and you get nasty, and like, you, you'll yell at the, you know, the lady who didn't give you your drink fast enough. When you're hungry, it's a powerful motivator. And you know, my wife says at times when she's hungry, if she doesn't eat soon, she's gonna have a bad headache and it's not gonna go away. I mean, that's how the response could be in your body. That's what I know, feed her immediately or you may die. (laughs) And David's hungry, David's fleeing, David's got a lot of pressure on him, David's got a lot of stress on him, and he's telling tall tales here, and he needs he needs food, he needs five loaves. Now, the priest says in verse 4, there's no bread here, there's there's no bread for you here. (laughs) There's only consecrated bread, there's no ordinary bread. Now you say, What's consecrated bread? Is that like Jewish wonder bread? No. (laughs) Consecrated bread is bread that is blessed and set apart for holy usage. They would take this bread and they would set it before the Lord or they would use it in offerings. But it had a holy purpose. It wasn't just common, ordinary bread. It wasn't just for anybody to eat. When the Jews, with the tabernacle worship system that God had given them, would consecrate bread and set it aside, it was to offer to God. It was only to be eaten by the priests who were of the Levitical line. And at the very least, if someone was going to eat it who wasn't a priest, they had to be consecrated themselves. They had to be, you know, a time of fasting. And here it talks about a time of sexual abstinence that the, the priest would say, well, if the, if the men that you're with have kept themselves from women, they've abstained and they've, you know, they've humbled themselves and they're in a state of fasting, then maybe we can pass out some bread. Exodus 19.5 uh, set that standard when God was telling the people, you're going to come before me on the holy mountain. He said, you know, you set yourself apart. You're going to be in a state of fasting and sexual abstinence. And David says, oh, yeah, 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 we're, we're all good. We, yeah, we've been doing that. There again, I I don't have any way to know, but I'm thinking that wasn't true either. Once you start lying, it can be easy to keep lying and it gets hard to stop lying. Hello. And so here's Dave and he's telling, you know, okay, yeah, I need this. And it, you know, David tells the priest in verse five, sure, he's clean, he's sexually pure, everything's good. You know, he gives him some double talk there in verse five. Probably not true, but he's doing what he's got to do to make his escape. Now, I want you to see something here. Ahimelech needs to discern what's going on here, and I hope he does. You know, um, But David at this point is just telling him what he wants to hear. Have you ever been with someone who just tells you what what they know you want to hear? And we call it, you know, they're yesing you to death. You and I need discernment, When someone's just telling us when, you know, we 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 hear them talking and they're telling us exactly what we want to hear. We need to have enough discernment that that we know that we're being played. Okay? You know, sometimes we don't challenge a person when we know they're doing that because what they are saying is what we want to hear. It's so much more fun having Phil in the front row because his eyes caught. You know, oh, you just told me what I wanted to hear. I'm not gonna challenge that. That was good. Say that again. When people are telling you what they think you want to hear, they're manipulating you and allowing yourself to be manipulated. Manipulation is witchcraft. Allowing yourself to be manipulated is allowing yourself to be deceived. Be very careful. You know, as we go through the Old Testament, I constantly am pointing out character traits and and human nature and all these things. Why? Because these are things we wrestle with on a daily basis. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to have people who will lie to you, people who tell you what you want to hear, people who are manipulating you. (laughs) And if you're going, no, then you really are a sheep. (laughs) No, no one does that to me. Oh, okay. They're out there. There's wolves and devils and all kinds of things. And, you know, not that this situation is that, but there is some deception going on here. And I wonder how much discernment there is. So we need to be wise enough to know when someone's telling us what we want to hear. You know, people will say things to other Christians, you know. There's wolves among the the sheep. And wolves say things like, oh, brother, oh, sister. You know, they like titles. Oh, when someone says, oh, man of God, how are you today, man of God? Then I know it's coming. You know, people who walk by me and go, hey, Rick. Then the next day, oh, man of God, how are you? I'm thinking, hold on to your wallet. Hold on to something. Right, come on. You know when people are are playing you, right? Right and they'll always use stuff like that oh dear sweet sister bishop you know prophet pastor evangelist they like titles and they like accolades when you hear that stuff get your hands up because right behind that's a sucker punch and you and i need to be wise as serpent as gentle as doves deception is an ugly thing yet it's something we deal with on a, de- a daily basis don't let your guard down don't let people manipulate you Be kind, be gentle, but be wise. In verse 6, Ahimelech gives David the bread, and the bread was put out before the Lord. So, this bread was put out before the Lord. They yanked it. They're about to put fresh bread out. He gives it to David. Legalistically, there again, this is way out of line, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, Jesus himself makes reference of this situation in Mark 2, 23 through 28. Jesus' disciples were eating, you know, uh, corn or they were picking corn or they were just fl- taking some wheat and rubbing it in their hands and eating because they were hungry and it was the Sabbath day. Do you remember this? Yeah. And the Jews were so angry, the Sadducees were like, your, your disciples break the Sabbath, your Sabbath breakers. And Jesus said, did you not read what David did when he was hungry? He quotes this situation right here. And it's kind of interesting here, even though David is being deceptive and some of this stuff is, you know, not right and probably requires repentance, Jesus understood the principle that was taking place there. It was more important for David to escape with his life than it was to stay legalistically pure and, and right. And that's what Jesus said. The Sabbath wasn't made for man. a Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Don't get so spiritual that you become, you know, you, you miss the forest from the tree. Don't become so spiritually minded that you don't get it, that people are more important than procedures. <laughs> We're under grace. And so Jesus notes this here, and he, he quotes this situation that David's partaking. Verse 7 mentions the presence of Saul's servant at, at the priest, at the tabernacle here. Now, this is an interesting thing. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag the Edomite. Kind of rolls off the tongue nice. Doag the Edomite, he was the chief of Saul's shepherds. That one verse is tucked in there, and then we move right back to David and Ahimelech and what's going on. Why in the world do you think God made the note of that? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted us to know that David had just been made and he'd just been compromised, that one of Saul's men were there, and there were eyes and ear for him. Listen, when you're in situations, be careful who's watching you, who's listening to you, who's hearing what you say. They used to have an expression, loose lips sink ships. In the military, you need to get a security clearance. That means you're smart enough to know when to shut up. And if you don't, they throw you in jail for violating your security clearance. Unless you're a politician, they give you a raise. Yeah, that stings so much. No integrity left in our government. David's compromised. This guy sees him, and you know what's happening next? He's going to report back to Saul because he saw his eyes and ears. Why was he detained before the Lord? We don't know, but David is sure to see them and sure to know that he's compromised. He needs to move fast. He needs to move now. He needs to escape, or he's going to die. What a situation for this guy to be in. Verses 8 and 9, he moves on after he sees that, you know, here's this guy watching and looking and listening. He moves on to his second need. He needs a weapon. Here's David, a mighty warrior. He doesn't even have a sling. He doesn't have stones. He doesn't have anything, a pocket knife. He's totally unarmed. What a precarious place for him to be. David said to Ahimelech, is there no spear or sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's matter was urgent. So he keeps the the storyline going there. The priest says, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there's no one excepted here. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So David needs a weapon. He needs to defend himself. His life is on the line. It's interesting that the only weapon that's there is one that he collected himself. Amen? And it's look at this. You know, I don't know how that was taken from him. I don't know why it was taken from him, but it should have always been his. Sometimes God removes things from us and puts them ahead of us in our future at a time that we're going to need them. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You know, David was humble enough to let them take his trophy away. Some of us would have had that on the mantle at home, you know, with a picture with Goliath's head up there. And like, no, David, like, did you just say ill? Oh, okay. I was coming for your man card. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't at home, it wasn't on the display case. He was humble enough to let it go. Yes. God removed it from him and put it into his future in a place where he was gonna need it. Now he flees from Israel with the sword that he collected himself, and what a sword it was. He says there was none like it. So David gets what he needs here. He needed a weapon. He needed to be armed. Ironically, it's Goliath's sword, and we we talked about that. He takes it with him. He takes his bread, and he flees. So let's recap here for a second. David goes to Samuel, the prophet, and he goes to Samuel for help, and Samuel can't help him. He only stays a little while. God protects him from Saul there a little while, and then he has to flee from Samuel. He goes to Jonathan, his friend, and Jonathan, his friend, can't help him. He stays a little while, he finds out Saul's intention, and he has to flee from Jonathan. Now he goes to the priest, and the priest can't help him. They give him a few supplies. They arm him with what God wanted him to be armed with. And understand something, you know, he has to flee then from the priests. This guy is in such a bad situation, nobody could help him. Now, the next thing that he does here in verse 10 is completely off the rails. As David flees from Israel and goes to Gath, Israel's archenemy, the Philistines. Gath is a Philistine city. Gath, if you remember, is the city that Goliath came out of. David is in such turmoil at home that he thinks the safest place for him to go is to flee to his enemies. He's such a wanted man. He's, he's so in danger of losing his life that it's safer for him to be among the Philistines than it is his own countrymen. Now think about this. He's going to Gath with Goliath's sword. How popular is he going to be there? Oh yeah, this was the sword of your champion, remember him? I knocked him down with a stone and took his head off, and and here's his sword, and how you guys doing? What's for dinner? Wow, interesting, interesting. Now we, we might see that as a disadvantage, and it may be, but also they revered Goliath, and here comes the guy who knocked Goliath down. Maybe it's gonna give David some respect in their eyes. Maybe it's gonna give him a place. We're gonna have to see how it works out, but logically this is a, This is a really scary situation. None of his countrymen can help him. The prophet can't help him. The priest can't help him. His best friend can help him. All he can do is run for his life to the enemy of Israel. Now all Saul's men were gunning for him. And you might think, it's crazy. Who would think to go to your enemy in a time like this? Well, you're a wanted man and you're in exile. You know, you, you do crazy things. Has anyone ever heard of Edward Snowden? Edward Snowden was... Someone who had security clearance in our intelligence agency uncovered American secrets, and he had to flee from America. He's now in Russia. Mm-hmm. Exactly what David's doing. Yeah. Russia's our number one. Russia's the only country that can stand against us as a, as a quote-unquote superpower. And, and we got a guy who's an American national with American intelligence secrets hiding in Russia right now. Yeah. Has anyone heard of Julian Assange? Yeah. WikiLeaks? You see, when you uncover things that governments are doing covertly behind their people's back, you don't become a very popular guy. He had to flee for exile to Ecuador. And you guys watch the news or anything. You're looking at me like I'm telling Aesop's fables up here. You know, he he was in Ecuador and they wanted to kill him because he's uncovering dirty things that politicians and governments have done. And you know what? And you could say, well, he's this and that. Well, Ecuador just gave him up. Now his life is literally on the line. The thing that David is doing right here is not in a vacuum. It's not strange. It happens all the time throughout history. I gave you two examples of it happening in our modern day right now. But it is a very sad situation for David because unlike almost anyone else I can think of, he has done nothing wrong. The only thing he did was serve God and accept the anointing, and Saul wants to kill him because he's wicked and he's ungodly and he has, the Holy Spirit's been removed from him. So here goes David into exile. Verse 11, the men of Gath recognized David instantly. They, they, uh, he might have thought he can go in under the radar and just kind of hide out there, but in verse 11, immediately, that doesn't work out for him. It, it, it says, then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath, But the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing about this one as they danced, saying Saul has slayed his thousands, David has slayed his 10,000? So David thought he might be able to just hide out there, you know, go across the border, hide out, you know, but it doesn't work. Immediately, they all recognize him. And it's really interesting what they say about him. The servants of King Achish, who is the king of Gath, say, isn't this the king of Israel? Did anybody pick that up? Isn't it interesting that in the eyes of the Philistines, David's already king? It's amazing that sometimes your enemies will have a, a, a more correct view of you than those who are supposed to be your supporters. Come on. Those around you don't want to acknowledge what God's doing in your life, don't want to acknowledge your destiny, want to keep it. Little Davy, hey little Davy, how are the sheep? He walks into enemy Tory. Isn't this the king of the land? They know him. He's an incredible warrior. He routs them in battle every time they fight. He sends them packing, beaten and bleeding. They know David. They call him a king already. In their mind, Saul's just a puppet. He's just a figurehead. David's already king. Sometimes your enemies have a more correct view of you than your supporters. That's how valuable people's opinions are. Value them accordingly. David doesn't go under the radar. They know exactly who he is. He's in Gath and they they recognize him as, you know, a king already. And they even know his number one hit song there, that the one that's on Saul's iPod, you know, David's killed his 10,000s, you know, that little country ditty there. They know the songs that were sung about David. Interesting, right? So he flees there. It's not working out. They know exactly who he is. The, The servants of Achish want him dealt with. David knows he won't be able to vanish. And so, you know, uh, Achish is right away. He's aware of him. Listen to verse 12 here as the whole thing unfolds. He says, "'David took these words to heart. "'They know my song. "'They know who I am. "'They called me a king. "'And he greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. "'So he disguised his sanity before them "'and acted insanely in their hands "'and scribbled on the doors of the gate.' and let his saliva run down his beard. So what's phase two of David's bright plan? Flee to my enemy's territory with the sword of the guy, their champion that I killed. Oops, they recognize me. Now let's act crazy. I mean, and think about this here. There again, this is sad, why? Because here's a godly man, here's a holy man, here's a man destined to be king, and he has to act like a crazy person to save his life. His antics include scribbling, and dribbling he has to scribble and dribble what so they think he's nuts and could you imagine what an act David maybe David should have been in the arts maybe he should have did theater I don't know but whatever they're looking at him and it's like this guy's nuts and he's scribbling and he's doing all this stuff and spits coming down his beard I don't know about you but I don't know I think I, if I had to do that right now I don't think I could do a, a performance that would save my life they were like uh, hurry up and kill this guy he's bad not a good actor. So, you know, David scribbles, and he dribbles, and he does what he has to do, and uh, you know, they're looking at him, and he's playing the madman. He acts like he's out of his mind. His performance is good enough to kind of get past the people there, and when you you think of it, you know, it's shrewd of him to try and do this, because he's just trying to save his life. Now, it is totally humiliating, but he has to do it. Listen to verse 13. Uh, It says here, so his... He disguised the sanity before them and he scribbled on the doors of the gate and let the saliva run down his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Verse 15 Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act a madman in my presence? So this one come into my house. Now I gotta say, what Akish says is kind of funny. He's like, Come on, guys, I got enough crazy people around here. I'm the king. You got this guy scribbling and dribbling. You bring him right to me. Why are you bringing him to me? Look at you guys. Am I short of crazy people? <laughs> if you're a leader, you understand this. You know, pastors joke. We're like, we'll trade you two crazy people for one crazy person. You know. <laughs> but he, he's acting crazy. And the king right away, you, you got to see that Achish, is a, is, he's a pretty good leader. Because some of the things he says are telling here. You know, basically they said, do I lack madman that you've brought this one to act? Did you hear that? A-C-T, act. The people might not think it's an act, but Akish, the leader, is smart enough to know that David's acting the madman. And then he says what? You bring him into my presence. Shall this one come into my house? I want you to see something. Leaders, if you're going to be a leader, you have to have discernment. And this guy, even though a heathen had discernment, he knew what David was doing was an act. And he knew the reason he was doing that is because he wanted refuge in his house. That's why he said, You're gonna, should I bring this one into my house? He cut right through the act, right through the smoke screen, and he sees David's intent here. Now we're gonna see that David does find refuge in the land of the Philistines. God protects him and preserves him. He has enough honor with the sword of Goliath in his hand that even his enemies fear him and have more respect for him right now than his own king and countrymen. Let's bow our heads. Father, many of us find ourselves in hard situations in life. We find ourselves having to make hard choices and having to deal with the fallout from wrong decisions, Lord. And Father, I pray for each of us as we find ourselves in these situations that instead of doing things that are contrary to your will, as David lies on top of lies and he deceives and all of these things, Father, if possible that we would take a better route, that we would just repent of our sin and ask for forgiveness. God, when we're in a hole that we've dug, I pray we'd have the humility to stop digging. And Father, just to reach our hands up to you and allow you to pull us out. God, maybe we're stuck in a bad situation financially. We're stuck in bad relationships that lead us to sin. Maybe we're addicted, Lord God, and we need to get free. Father, whatever the case is, there's grace and there's mercy for us. Help us to be humble enough to reach out for it, not to keep digging the hole. Father, maybe we're in a situation through no fault of our own. We're we're running for our lives. We did nothing wrong like David. Maybe that's the case. Give us grace, God, and let us know that you're with us and for us, even though everyone around us is untrustworthy, even though our enemies might think better of us than our own supposed supporters. Father, all the principles that we learn here, help us to work them into our daily living, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, bless the Lord.